I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Dominic Chu in for Scott Wapner today. Front and center this hour, the $4 trillion test for the market. That is what is on the line as we await key earnings from Apple and Amazon. Could those reports turn the tide for that tech trade? Our investment committee is standing by to break all of it down. Join me here for the hour at Post 9 at the Stock Exchange. Josh Brown, Brenda Vangelo, Jim Labenthal, and Bill Baruch. So let's get a check on the markets right now. As we just pointed out to you, the Nasdaq is ticking ever so slightly into the green. It was fractional losses for most of the session so far. The Dow Industrial is now only down just about 32 points, down one-tenth of 1%. And the S&P down about one-quarter of 1%, 45.04 was the last trade there. Uh, this is an interesting move only because there might have been folks out there who believed that yesterday's downdraft, which some would say was overdue, could have been the precipitating factor for something much worse, even so today. Josh, it didn't look like it was going to be massively down, but it did accelerate into the close yesterday. How do we feel about today's trading action? One of the things we were looking at yesterday is, okay, we're down, but what's really down the most? And interestingly, it tended to be the stocks that were up the most on the year. And I was, I was on uh, the air yesterday, and I was calling it uh, an upside-down day. Some people call it an inside-out day. But it was counter-trend. You had stocks, the top 20 performers in the market, uh, up an average of 83%. They were down an average of 3% yesterday, much worse than the overall tape. You also saw a lot of pain in, uh, in higher-yielding stocks, equities, which makes sense. Uh, you got a higher-yielding um, intermediate-term bond, long bond. Maybe some people would say that's competition for flows. I'm not sure I 100% see it that way. I think what, what what's uh, we're probably just catching our breath here today from yesterday. I don't think anybody wants to make a really big commitment to one side of the, the market or the other ahead of Apple. Apple's going to move this market, whether you like it or not, even if it's a boring report. Um, the reaction to Apple is going to, I think, is going to speak volumes in terms of how August progresses. And the bad news is it's 30 times earnings. And it's a stock that is now going into its third consecutive quarter of contracting revenue. So the bulls would say, don't worry about revenue. They're actually expanding gross margins, 42 to 44 percent over the last two quarters. And that's what the street cares about. OK, maybe. I guess we're about to find out. All right, Brenda. I mean, this is this is your backyard. I mean, you're here with us right now, which is awesome. But when you're out in Silicon Valley, you're out in Northern California in the Bay Area. Apple dominates the business conversation because of its sheer heft, its sheer weight. Mm -hmm. How important is Apple going to be to that overall market narrative along the lines of what Josh was just saying? Well, I think Apple has been so incredibly successful, right? And even even in the last earnings number, even though it wasn't the overall earnings number wasn't great, we found out, you know, that a lot of people who had never bought an iPad bought an iPad. A lot of people who had never bought a watch were buying a watch. So Apple's still doing a great job of of, of adding these incremental um, devices. And then on the services side, of course, you have the better the better margin uh, coming through. But I think overall, what, what I'm concerned about more than anything is just the valuation of the stock, what expectations have become. Because I think if we look at well, how is this company going to act over the next decade, I just don't see a, a repeat of what happened over the prior decade. The company is just too big and has been incredibly successful. And that's great. But I think, does it warrant a 30 PE? 
I just don't think so because I think growth is going to moderate, and it has, but I think even going forward, we're not going to see the type of growth we saw over the last decade. Jim, the, the, the interesting part about the mega cap trade is the move the needle argument and debate is always going to be there for these trillion dollar type companies out there. We have found some companies that have been able to move the needle, at least the perception of the needle, dramatically, say with things like artificial intelligence or cloud computing or growth in certain other areas. I think of Microsoft, I think of Alphabet, I think of NVIDIA, of course. Apple can move the needle with investors if it can sell a good story. What is that good story going to be and would it necessarily come out in this quarter's earnings report? Um, I want to start by saying I'm not going to damn Apple with faint praise, but Brenda just said something kind of important. It's trading at 30 times earnings. If you look at FactSet, the long-term growth rate in earnings per share is is around 9.9% projected. Gives a peg ratio of 3.0. Now, there's a lot of threes here. 30 times earnings, three times peg ratio. You know what the 10-year annualized return on on, uh, Apple is? It's 30%, which is about three times the market's uh, overall return. Where am I going with this? It's like, yeah, Apple probably will move the market for one day, but ultimately you've got to recognize that it's very hard to get 30% per annum returns going forward in Apple from here. It's just really hard. Um, That's why I've been saying for quite some time, look outside of tech. I'm underweight FANG. That's been to my peril. If we get a pullback, I might add to Apple or any of a number of FANG names. But I do strongly believe that it's the rest of the market that has started the last two months to catch up and probably will continue. Dom, by no means am I saying go out and sell Apple. All right, that's not the point. Do you think the shareholder base of Apple right now is expecting 30% annual returns for the next 10 years? I don't. Well, first off, I mean, how do we define the shareholder base, Josh? It's like the, the whole world, right? Well, I was going to say anybody who order, owns say a the, spider the index, owns the index funds, Apple. The index funds and the, the largest uh, holders of Apple, do you think, you think most people expect Apple to do what it's... I, don't, I think they care more about stability, actually, than they care about... I mean, of course, everyone wants to earn returns. I, I'm sure you're right. But I, I, I think that that's the mindset of the Apple shareholder base I, today. I'm sure you're right. The reason I asked you that question and said the whole world is because the whole world is made up a bunch of different demographics in terms of investor styles. There's definitely some that are saying exactly what you want. In fact, it's me, by the way. I'm underweight Apple, but I own a 4.5% position. I wanted to just chug along. If it gives me 10% per annum for the next three years, hallelujah. However, I do think still there is a large portion of the investor base in Apple that thinks this is going to return what it did over the last 10 years, that they've just been conditioned to expect that. They may not have the experience that you and I do. And and I think that's a little bit of a danger, Josh, because if they're disappointed, they may sell their shares. But when I say a little bit of a danger, focus on a little bit. All right. So the keys over the last 10 years, maybe more in Apple, have always revolved around iPhone because it's the biggest chunk of revenues and profits overall. The story has shifted a little bit more in the last five to seven years towards this services side of the business. It is not nearly as large as some of the hardware side, but it is growing at a much faster clip. That's been the sales job that many traders who own or bullish Apple have been putting out there. So Bill, I'll look to you. Apple and services, there's been a lot more attention being paid to some of those growth rates on that side of the business. How important is that on a scale against what we should expect out of iPhone shipment sales and everything else? 
I think the services is going to be crucial. And here, some of the tracking seeing uh, through July is showing uh, solid uh, purchases in the App Store through July. I think services continue to could see a good reacceleration as well. That's going to be important. But but not only just for Apple and how Apple performs coming out of this, but what does it mean for the broader market? And how do they talk about the consumer? Or do they guide down revenue because they're concerned about the consumer? The market in general would not take that very well. Um, but it, you know what? It obviously has had a good run, and it's broken out to new highs. I think the nice thing is if we do get some negative news, the previous high is 180. It's, it's just about lower 5% away. That's going to be a great support level for people that may have missed some of this or people that are looking to add to Apple. I'm looking at 180 being a tremendous support level if it comes in pro, uh, following their report. Can I, can I say one thing about the sure. services versus the, uh, the sales? Of the, a few years back, it was the end of the world one day. We were on CNBC, and Apple said, we're not going to report uh, unit volumes on the phone. A quarterly, yeah, a quarterly basis. So don't worry, don't worry about how many phones we sell. Worry about the revenue. Worry about the earnings. It was the right move to make. That old game where we'd count literally by region how many actual phones they're selling became stupid as the business became a replacement cycle business. At a certain point, you run out of new people to buy an iPhone and most of your sales are to existing customers. They successfully pulled that off and what they pointed to was in, instead of that, they shifted the conversation to services, and that made sense. It was the fastest growing part of the business, also the most profitable. Their take rate in the App Store is ridiculous, and nothing has changed uh, in the last five or 10 years. They've given zero ground. Even on the iPhone, it doesn't make sense. You have a 15-year-old product still uh, with, with the, the gross margins that it has and not enough competition to force pressure there. What we're looking at here, $81 billion in revenue uh, uh, for the quarter, $1.19 in earnings per share. $40 billion of that is iPhone revenue. $20 billion is services. Services is now on a, like an $80 billion run. It's a huge business if it were standalone. If it were its own stock, it would be in the S&P 500, maybe the S&P 100. That's, the, the, for me, the beauty of Apple. If they have weakness because of China or whatever in units or in, or in phone sales, they'll have this whole other thing to talk about. And that is what has prevented really bad reactions to Apple earnings over the last eight quarters. Because it's taken decades to create an installed base. That, that they have to create that replacement but they don't cycle lose overall. It. They exactly. Don't. It's sticky. There's no doubt right. about it. All right. So let's talk more about the fundamental picture here, bringing another layer to the story. It's our tech correspondent, Steve Kovac, who is actually live outside of Apple headquarters in Cupertino, California right now. Steve, we've been talking a lot about the install base, what it means, how important it is for Apple, its ecosystem, its brand, its revenues. What are we going to be looking for this afternoon when Apple reports? Yeah, Dom, I think the headline that we're expecting to get out of there is revenue is going to fall again for the third quarter in a row. And the big question going in today is, can Apple return to growth? So everyone should pay attention to Apple doesn't give for, uh, formal guidance anymore because of COVID, but they do kind of give little hints at what to expect for the current quarter. We know more iPhones are going to, or the new iPhone rather, is going to come out towards the end of the quarter. So they might get a couple weeks of sales out of that. But to your services point, I'll point out to what uh, Morgan Stanley uh, wrote last week. They're, they're expecting a return to double digit growth in services. So the commentary everyone should be looking for, 
the install base, if we get some updated numbers on not just the iPhone install base, but the overall Apple ecosystem install base. Another thing to watch for are MacBook sales, which have just fallen dramatically the last couple quarters, but we've seen signs from Intel and AMD and uh, Microsoft as well that maybe the PC market has kind of bottomed out, has Apple experienced that as well. And then I'd also point to what we learned from Qualcomm last night about their warning saying smartphone sales are going to be down uh, low double digit percentage, I believe what they're saying. Now they mostly work with Android phones. Does that apply to iPhones as well? So the big thing I really want to hear from Tim Cook and, and his team is uh, what they're seeing here on the demand side. Has demand gotten better? Has it improved, especially in those important markets like the United States, China? I know we've been getting some uh, scary economic numbers out of there and uh, just what they think is going to happen here with this new iPhone cycle coming forward. All right, Steve Kovac, thank you very much for the update. We'll be seeing you later on this afternoon throughout the course of the day, of course, tied to Apple earnings. Uh, Brenda, you're based out there. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're Northern California, you are Silicon Valley. What exactly is the perception from many of the clients, investors, business folk out there with regard to whether Apple still has that kind of preeminent feel as a company, almost like the center of a solar system when it comes to the world of technology? Well, I think there's a universal love of Apple. And, you know, when, you, when you're in an environment or in a community where Apple has contributed to so much wealth creation, <laughs> it's hard not to imagine that people will love the product, obviously, and, and love the consequences of having owned the stock, worked for the company, what have you. So that's uh, significant. But I don't feel like anyone in Silicon Valley is moving away from Apple. You know, everybody has the product. That's my concern is everybody has the product. Um, and so my, my bigger concern, biggest concern is, you know, what kind of multiples this company really deserve? It's a phenomenal company. I think it can continue to be a good stock, but is it going to lead the market in terms of overall return? That's my question going forward. So here's, here's my question. Mm-hmm. You, you said you had concerns over the valuation mm-hmm. that it's trading at right now. Do you have in your mind what a fair valuation should be? And and by the way, we can also wrap another layer of this kind of conversation there by interest rates Mm -hmm. continuing to move higher. That should have an effect on models and valuation. If you're using anything like capital asset pricing models or anything else, you're Mm going to take a look at how those rates affect it. So in your mind, what should Apple be trading more akin to? I think it should trade at a premium to the overall market. But I don't think it should trade as much a premium as it's getting today. I think here it is right now. So who am I to say? It's it's getting it right now. But I think if you look going forward, I could see this company is just maturing. And what's happened in the past with maturing tech companies? Historically, they just haven't been able to command a real premium multiple to the market. A slight premium for sure. This is a high quality company, incredible installed base, as we've all talked about, with the services revenue growing and it's more profitable revenue, so that'll contribute to the bottom line. But I think uh, that 30 times multiple is just really rich. That's what we're showing right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, Apple trading at 190 bucks and change of shares, a 30, almost a 31 forward multiple right now. Let's bring in our chart of the day because we've mentioned this stock a handful of times already. It's Qualcomm moving lower following earnings. The chip maker is missing on revenues and offering up some weaker guidance. Um, you know who I'm going to turn to on this one, right, guys? Well, it's got to be Jim Labenthal because you are. He this loves is, this thing. Yes. And, and so let's who, talk about uh, Let's dissect it. Let's talk about yeah, this. Yeah, let me it's throw tough. a few swords out for me to fall on first, <laughs> if okay. I may, Dom. Apologies, because yep. I did make this my final trade two days ago. I will own that. 
Um, however, I do want to talk about a 9% uh, decline in the share price being an overreaction today. They gave lousy guidance, okay? Um, whenever I look at a stock that's down like this, particularly in the technology space, I think about, is this broken? Is this, and I'm sorry if I'm insulting anyone, Intel five years ago? I don't think so. I think this is still a company that's the intellectual property leader in the smartphone space. Um, the smartphone market seems to be taking longer to turn around than anyone expected. Now, the question I do have, and I think it's for all of us here, is does this imply something for Apple tonight? Because there's one of two explanations here. Either Apple is just eating more and more market share from Android and Qualcomm's feeling it, or the overall market for smartphones is going down, or excuse me, not recovering as fast as expected. With how much market share Apple has gained over the last few years, I find it hard to believe that this is a market share issue. I think this is just a simple macro issue of smartphone life cycles are going longer and longer. Most people I talk to, I don't know about everybody else, extends how long they own their, their phones until they upgrade, even with free upgrades these days. That's really the main current here of what's going on with Qualcomm. There's a side current here that 25% of their business is not smartphones, and it's growing, but it's not growing fast enough. This is automotive and Internet of Things. It's not growing fast enough to make this other than a smartphone story right now. But what you've got is a cheap stock that doesn't appear to be broken or fatally flawed, just has some bad guidance for the next quarter. Hang think, in there. I think it's it's always risky to use Qualcomm as a read-through to Apple. I don't think there's ever been a quarter where they've, like, synced up particularly well. And I don't think this is going to be the time that they do either. They might coincidentally both report weakness in, in phones. I just wouldn't draw that that causation from, from the correlation. I think Warren Buffett said it best. Uh, somebody asked him about, about the valuation last quarter. Maybe, maybe it was on CNBC. And he said, think about it. Go up to an Apple user, offer them $10,000 right now, cash. The only stipulation is they can never buy an Apple product again. Almost nobody would take that deal, right? So let's not even put Android and iPhone or the Apple ecosystem, the Apple product ecosystem in the same conversation. I really think it's Mars and Venus. All right, so, so cool. Bill, but, I mean, Qualcomm, for, okay, forget about the, just set aside the Apple story yeah. for right now. For, I, I'm wondering whether or not Qualcomm is just the next chapter or next page in what's already been a, I guess, sell the news kind of event when it comes yes. to computer chips, right? Uh, we've talked about AMD. We had Infineon, by the way, out in Europe overnight. Also that same kind of stock reaction, some perceived weakness in the future. AMD NVIDIA shares were real underperformers yesterday. Now, albeit NVIDIA has been on an absolute tear mm -hmm. over the last several months here. But chips had been set up arguably for perfection. I yes. mean, there was a lot of expectation. Qualcomm was not like NVIDIA. But is it being caught up in the same kind of, you know what, maybe computer chips are due for a breather kind yeah. of trade? Well, we wouldn't be doing this, this move in Qualcomm today justice without talking about the positioning that's taking place. Bull markets fuel speculation. That's what we've seen. And I'm looking at this sort of the NVIDIA phenomenon. You look back to that May report from NVIDIA, it was 20-some percent, and it kept going. No one wants to miss that move, and everybody wants to try and catch the next one. So you're seeing positioning and speculation in a bull market that's buying this stuff ahead of the earnings. You have options that are very, very readily available to institutions as well as the retail public, and they're buying calls. So the position that takes place into these earnings is already overdone. And then as soon as these, you know, doesn't have an, an NVIDIA moment of, of being up 20 plus, the 
how, do, how are options traded? So you have a market maker that's going to sell the option to the person buying it, and the market maker goes and hedges their risk. They are then buying stock. On so the heels of it. On yes. the heels of that to sure. hedge out their risk, become neutral. So this is sort of the gamma effect that you've heard in the past, where when these don't perform as much or as well as expected, it's not a blowout quarter, you have those shares being dumped. And that's where these things are having these massive reversals. AMD beat top and bottom estimates, but then you see their big reversal. And this is something that I started paying attention to with going back to Micron about a month ago, where Micron had a pretty solid report. Um, They've been so negative previously, but then they were up 5, 10%, 5, 6, 7% before the bell opened and slammed right away. We've been seeing that very often. Uber was up quite a bit, slammed right away. This is a positioning thing, and I think it's the NVIDIA phenomenon. It's a great, it's a great point. People like, I thought AMD was good. Yeah, it was good. That's why the stock went up 70% yeah, year to date yep. going into the report. Like, what, what, do you, what do you think? And nobody knows it's going to be good, and we're all just sitting here like it's a like it's a CD at the bank, and then it's going to move after. I wish it were that easy. I think you're you're spot on. We've had some great reports, nothing but good news. Negative seven percent the next day. It's because people hadn't been anticipating that really since uh, the spring when we got through the the mini banking fake crisis. Speaking of the option side of things, I will just kind of put this on on the table right now, and we can leave it there as we move on. I was looking at the options prices for Apple going into this earnings print, and you're what they you put on some trades. And I'm not putting on <laughs> trades because I'm not allowed to. I'm not, okay. and certainly yeah. not with options. Okay, so I looked at the I looked at the options prices, and what they imply right now, guys, is a three and a half percent move up or down okay. for Apple on the heels of earnings. I will say that over the last eight quarters of earnings reports, the plus or minus has been. So the market is pricing in less volatility for Apple on the heels of earnings. I will also say this because I looked up Amazon as well. Amazon right now is trading with an implied move of up or down around 7%. Historically, over the last eight quarters, it's an 8.5% move. So less volatility there as well. I'm using this because I want to bring in Amazon, which could be a much more volatile stock after the bell today. The, the, what's, the t- what's the call here? So, like, just generally speaking, at least historically, $3 trillion market cap stocks should probably be less volatile than the overall market. Uh, it doesn't always work that way on a, on a daily basis, but that does make sense to me that the larger some of these companies get provided they're uh, giving you somewhat stable earnings, that they're not going up and down 12% intraday. It's almost too much money. Um, Amazon's 40 times uh, earnings. So if you didn't like Apple at 30, you're going to love that. You're going to love Amazon at 40. This is all cloud. So I know they're doing like new grocery stuff, but that doesn't matter. And Microsoft's cloud guidance was like just okay. Uh, Amazon is as big as Microsoft is in cloud, and a lot more of their growth is coming from cloud than is the case with Microsoft. So a lot is riding on AWS. And if you were paying attention to Microsoft, you're probably like not that fired up going into tonight's print because of it. Yes, Brenda. I will say, though, that coming out of last quarter for Amazon, they said that AWS was trending down 500 basis points. Growth was down 500 basis points in April. So I think going into this print, it's the expectations are probably not that great. So even if, if things are a little bit better than down 500, I think that could be okay. Yeah. But I'll just say in general, 
Amazon historically has been a much less predictable stock. Earnings have been much harder, yeah. harder to predict than an Apple because of the spending that's been going on. And there's not as much spending now, uh, given that they overspent during those pandemic years. So I think that could also create a little bit less volatility. It, when and to her point, it. I think margins and on cloud are going to be most closely watched because of that trend. All right. All right, guys. Great conversation. I wish we had more time. We're going to move on. Still ahead on the show. It's our call of the day. Our call of the day. It's Bill Ackman. It's making he's making a big bold bet against bonds, U.S. government bonds. We're going to debate that move by Bill Ackman and maybe what Warren Buffett would say about that next on Halftime. Keep it right here. All right, right now, the major averages are well off their session lows right now. The Dow Industrial is just about four points, literally four whole points away from being flat on the session. The S&P 500 is at 4,508. That's down one-tenth of one percent. The Nasdaq Composite is actually one-tenth of one percent higher right now at 13989 Now, we are also watching the move in Treasury bonds and notes with both the 10-year and 30-year yields hitting their highest levels going all the way back to November of last year, which brings us to our call of the day. It's Pershing Square Capital's Bill Ackman making a big short bet on the long end of the bond market. So Ackman writing, quote, there are many times in history where the bond market reprices the long end of the curve in a matter of weeks, and this seems like one of those times. That's why we are short the 30-year Treasury. It's the long bond. Bill Baruch, you trade bond futures. Let's talk about this Ackman call on essentially what will be rising interest rates on the long end of the curve at least for the medium term, maybe short to medium term. Well, look at the price action this week. I mean, it's an easy one to kind of jump on. I mean, this, the bond market has really collapsed. Um, now, he's not new to this trade. I mean, he, there's, there is a short position. And so the CFTC, which, which runs the futures market, they regulate it. So they do a, what's called a commitment of traders, put it out every Friday for the prior week. It's a 40 to 1 or sorry, 10 to 1 uh, short position right now, uh, net short position, uh, outpacing the, the longs. So he's getting into a trade that's really already, already short. Um, you know, I, I think the big thing to really take away from this week as well is what's going on the deficit spending. Uh, we saw the Fitch obviously downgraded. But when, when the Congress raised their, their expectation of, of deficit from $750 million basically to a trillion, $750 to a trillion, that difference, that increase of $250 billion was larger than any def- annual deficit. This is a quarter move, any annual deficit going back to uh, 2003. So this is larger. This is, so they're going to have to print this money. They're going to be producing, uh, issuing these bonds. So yeah, I'm looking back at July as well. So you had a big fallout in the bond market in July and the market really prices this stuff in fairly quickly. So my question right here, what happens jumping on a crowded trade and a market that really already is pricing in this issuance that's now coming down the pipeline. And so, you know, I, I, I wonder what the data is. I mean, if, if the data doesn't come in hot and we see wage growth cool tomorrow, the bond market's going to rally in his face. So I, I, I don't know if I really love it here. I, I would say, Jim, I mean, just from a from a conceptual standpoint, I, I, I kind of see what Bill is saying, right? This is one of those classic with a with a 10 to one kind of skew towards one end of a boat, if you will. Right. <laughs> that is literally everybody on one side of the boat. It doesn't take very much for people to start covering their shorts and then piling on top of that to cover them again as they're starting to lose money. How safe would this kind of a trade be in your mind? And, and how and by the way, 
how much leeway would you give it before you say, you know what, maybe it's not going to work? Let me start by saying this. Conceptually, that's the word you use. I can come up with a lot of reasons why this trade should work, right? Whether it's what Fitch did, whether it's the idea that maybe we get, we get a no landing scenario and the long end of the curve steepens to, uh, to reflect that. I can come up with a number of reasons why it may be right. What I cannot do, and I don't think anyone can do, is say that now is the time. You know, I, th this is not a, a part of the market that I play in. It requires a lot of leverage. So to your point about safety, no, it's not safe. I mean, people like to think about, you know, George Soros breaking the Bank of England or any of these big, you know, macro guys who have just hit the ball, taken the cover off the ball, and it's outside the park. That's great, but you've got to take a lot of risk to get that sort of returns. And with what I was just describing of, yeah, it makes sense, but it, and you're saying it could go against you because of short covering. I'm saying I have no idea if the timing's right. It's not a place that I like to play in. I prefer being in stocks where if a stock goes down, I still have an idea of what the fundamental value okay, speaking is. Speaking of, I want to bring this into the conversation because, Jim, you've actually made some moves. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of wrap this around into this kind of idea that maybe there's places to put your money instead. You sold Dover. It's a holding that you've had for at least maybe a year, maybe even uh, a couple God, at this point. Three years. Right. Three years. At this point, it's been yeah. a longer term holding for you. You've sold it. And the reason why was because you want to raise cash. Yeah. Why Dover and why are you raising cash? Yeah, well, I've raised cash over the last two weeks. I've sold Goldman Sachs, Sherwin-Williams, now Dover. Um, and I'm just respectful of how far this market has come. I do not think that there's a disaster afoot, okay? Everybody knows I've been pretty enthusiastic and optimistic about both the markets and the economy. I'm not swaying from that. I am, however, experienced, and I will tell you from experience that this is the sort of setup, a huge rally into August where people go on vacation in the second week of August and they sell stocks. That's not science. I can't prove that's going to happen. I'm just giving you my experience that probably second half of August into September, which is a normally a tricky month to begin with, is probably a good time, Dom, to have some dry powder to commit. If I'm wrong, there will always be a stock that, for whatever reason, goes down and I can get into it. Um, but I do want to have just some tactical short-term cash. As far as why Dover, um, look, it's done fine in Industrials have done fine. Um, it's not something that I'm terribly passionate about, so it was just easy. If you have 25 stocks, there's always five stocks that just your, your love factor is in the fifth decile. Sorry, Dover, that's you. All right. Uh, and Brenda, before we let this conversation rest a little bit, on the semi-opposite side, not on the long-duration side of things, but mm -hmm. you do have Warren Buffett out this morning telling our own Becky Quick mm -hmm. that this is not going to Fitch, meaning change what Berkshire does. Warren Buffett told CNBC, Becky Quick, Berkshire bought 10 billion, billion worth of U.S. Treasuries last Monday. We bought 10 billion in Treasuries this Monday. It seems like they're going to continue. The only question for next Monday is whether we will buy 10 billion in either three or six month Treasuries. Warren Buffett is a bull on America. He has been for his entire investing career mm -hmm. and Fitch isn't scaring him. He's not really taking the same tilt that, say, a Bill Ackman is. I know that they're different duration, different types of securities. Mm -hmm. Are you scared of the U.S. sovereign bond market? I'm not scared of it. And I do think that it will be 
people still in the world still views it as a place of safety. So if we were to get some bad economic news and things started to turn for the worse, I think treasuries would still act really well in that sort of environment. But I will say there's a huge difference in my mind between what Bill Ackman is doing at the, at the very long end of the curve and the three to six month T-bills that, that Warren Buffett is buying. So those are almost two different animals in my, my mind. Uh, but I do think that uh, treasuries are, will still be viewed, continue to be viewed as a very safe asset. Uh, I don't think that's going away. Josh Brown, Team Ackman or Team Buffett? <laughs> Uh, I'll probably do the Ackman trade as soon as the Hong Kong dollar DPEG happens. I'm still waiting for that from November. Look, I don't, I don't, I'm not a macro whatever. Uh, I don't, I don't think Bill Ackman's biggest wins throughout history were macro either. I think he's an incredible stock picker and he sees things that other people don't see. And anytime people gang up against him or pile on or the press, he then comes out with this magnificent year of returns. So I would never want to say that I know better on any particular single trade, I would just say that this is not a conversation for like 99% of the people watching. Uh, for 99% of the people watching who are not managing uh, global macro strategies in a hedge fund wrapper, they should focus more on their asset allocation. They should understand the fact that there might be this seminal shift in inflation expectations long term that would mean higher uh, yields at, at, at on the 20-year, the 30-year Treasury. But that's not a huge part of any normal person's portfolio, nor does it need to be. So not only do I think it's not particularly consequential, I actually don't think most people watching this are at risk, even if Ackman nails it and is dead right. Uh -huh. So I, You know what they should focus on? Is the first page of Warren Buffett's annual report, which you know as well as I do. What does he do? He puts the 60 years of his history of track record up there. It's the first thing you see. All right, He is not interested in what the 10 years is going to do between now and the end of the year. He's seeing 5%. He's locking it in. He knows he's a long-term investor. He's got float from the insurance business that isn't going anywhere. He is the epitome of a long-term investor, which is what most investors should be. And that's the point I think you were making, Josh. One, 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 one last thing, really quickly. The, 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 the one legitimate question is, will treasuries be a risk-off asset the next time there's a crisis? Right, that was Brenda's point. Yeah. I don't know, but if they aren't, we have way bigger problems, and I think we could we could we could we're gonna have to leave it there, Don. Yes. Okay. Let's get with the headlines. Let's yeah. bring in Bertha Coombs. <laughs> Bertha, Josh, how are you? I'm all right. A body right. was found along the floating barrier that Texas authorities recently installed on the Rio Grande River to deter migrants from crossing the border. The Texas Department of Public Safety said, quote, information suggests this individual drowned upstream from the marine barrier and floated into the buoys. The discovery comes a week after the Justice Department sued Texas for installing that barrier. The IRS wants to do away with paper tax returns. The agency announcing a new program which will let taxpayers submit common tax forms and respond to notices online. The IRS wants fully paperless processing of all tax returns by 2025. It says the new initiative will cut processing times in half and eliminate up to 200 million pieces of paper a year. And it's official. Michael Jordan, no longer a majority owner of the Charlotte Hornets. The team announced the sale to an investor group and is complete, uh, that it's complete. It was reportedly worth $3 billion. The team paid 
played 13 seasons, she tried to say, under Jordan's leadership. He'll maintain a minority stake. Now, it says back to you, but I don't know if that means Dom or Josh. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take okay. it, Bertha. It'll, it'll be back to me, and I thank you for the news update. Well, coming up next year, shares of Shake Shack are getting smacked around. Post-earnings report will get Josh's reaction to the dip after a big run-up in Shake Shack this year. Halftime will be back after this commercial break. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Shake Shack shares are lower after reporting mixed results. Josh, this is a stock you own, so talk to me about whether you're still going to own it. I am going to still own it. I have been irrationally long this stock since uh, it came public. I've never sold it based on an earnings quarter. I'm not going to start now. They beat the, they beat the uh, market's expectations by a lot on earnings. Revenue was a slight shortfall. I think they were supposed to do $274 million for the quarter. They did $271 million. So anyone selling it today, you understand, is not actually an investor. Um, the stock went into the print up almost 100% on the year. They are largely getting credit for a huge turnaround. Just to put this into perspective, net income of $6.95 million this quarter doesn't sound like a lot until you understand, 16 cents a share, until you understand that they lost uh, $1.19 million the same quarter last year. So they were not a profitable company uh, since the pandemic started. Now they are. But again, the stock has already run up into uh, you know, where they are today. So how are they going to get the share price moving higher? I think they have to continue to do what they've been doing, more kiosks, more efficiency. They have to focus on keeping costs down while still opening up a lot of stores each year, which they continue to do, both company-owned stores in the United States and licensed stores all over the world. They opened in Thailand and China during the course of this past quarter, for example. If they keep doing that, I think the stock eventually works its way higher. I'm sticking around. Uh, and again, not only a shareholder, I am also a client. I would want to get a Shake Shack burger on the way home on the train today. Let's, let's uh, do all it. right, let's do it. Grand Central <laughs> Station. All right, coming up next on the show, Mike Santoli joins us with this midday word. Stay tuned for that. Halftime will be back after this. And the Dow is actually now positive on the session, up about 10 points. It's not much, but it's green. Back, up, back after this. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. Uh, what do you make of the sudden reversal, and do you think it has legs? It's interesting, Dom. Yesterday when we were talking about the little sell-off, pointed out that, you know, we had really just sort of skimmed a little bit of the, uh, the overshoot to the upside that we got off the market. We went down to a 20-day uh, moving average. That's right around where we're trading right now. Uh, and I would look back to June. If you want to talk about the best possible scenario of a pullback that's barely even worthy of the name, which was a 2 to 3% drop in mid-June, we got really overbought. People saying it's time for a pullback. 2 to 3% over like a week or 10 days, and that was kind of it. I'm not saying we're in for something like that, but uh, we do see some real rotation happening instead of people just sort of hightailing it out of the market. Obviously, energy is, uh, is pretty strong. So, so far, it looks okay, but I also can't help but feel as if people are just kind of lightly positioned coming into August. We heard about hedge funds really flattening out their books in July, and we're waiting. We're waiting for the, uh, the, the rest of the FANG to report and tomorrow's jobs number. So I wouldn't make any uh, strong statements about whether this resilience uh, is really a show of enduring strength until we get that, maybe until yields calm down as well. All right, Mike Santoli with that, and I'm sure you're watching those semis as well. I think a lot of folks are as well. Thanks very much, Mike. We'll see you later on. Uh, be sure to tune in, by the way, tomorrow night for a CNBC special with Mike Santoli. 
and Josh Brown, both of whom you just saw. <laughs> Taking Stock is happening Friday night, 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, right here on CNBC. Watch Mike and Josh break it all down for the course of the week. Up next for the show, the committee is getting ready to grade your trades. Halftime is back after this. All right, it's time for Grade My Trade. First of all, for Brenda, Doug in Los Angeles bought Disney at 99 bucks, but he's having second thoughts, maybe some buyer's remorse. What do you think? This has been a really frustrating stock to own, uh, but I will say when I look at the universe of what, what there is to own in terms of high quality names, there is a lot of bad news baked into Disney, uh, whether it's the cost-cutting initiatives that weren't coming fast enough, Bob Iger staying longer for better or for worse, um, the parks, news at the parks with, with traffic being down. There's just a lot of bad news baked in there. So I think when the company reports next week, we'll get some clarity on what's actually happening. Um, and I think we'll start to see um, some of those cost-cutting initiatives come through and et cetera. So I do think it's worth sticking with the stock for now uh, because it is a really high-quality company. Again, lots of bad news baked in. I think there's some upside from here. All right, now for Bill Baru. JB in Minneapolis sold Alphabet and put the profits into United Health at 447 bucks. Please grade this trade. Well, you're speaking my language. Over the last month, I've raised 8% cash from about zero. I've talked about it on the show. It's all come from tech. And I've actually put some money into buying, buying names in healthcare as, as well as cyclicals. But this does not have to be a binary decision. It's, you know, you, don't have, you can own both of these. And although I think if something's going to outperform tech in, this, in the second half of the year, it could and should be healthcare. Alphabet's still a larger position in our portfolios than United Health. Um, I'm looking at that move that we saw after earnings from Alphabet. And if it holds out above 124, I mean, I think we're building for higher prices. Same thing with United Healthcare. If it holds above 500, it's building for higher prices. All right, and for Jim, Reed bought 500 shares of Transocean Rig at six bucks and 85 cents. It reported on the 31st. Should she sell or hold? Rita is a bold investor. I like that. Um, well done. I'm holding it. Okay, I know, I know your position is now up about 25%. This is as cyclical a company as you could possibly imagine. I mean, maybe if you were making like rail car couplers or, or airplane windshield wipers, you could find something slightly more cyclical. But this is as cyclical as it comes, and you're in the right part of the cycle. There is something like 175 deep water rigs in the world. They are pretty much all contracted. One third of trans Transocean's rigs are idle right now because they're basically negotiating really fiercely to get the best day rates possible, which they're going to get. Those announcement of idle rigs coming back on is going to happen soon. This is a stock to hold for double digits. All right. And lastly, for Josh, Calvin on Twitter asks, I bought Dutch Brothers at around 32 bucks because I love their brand. But bro, should I buy more bros or switch to decaf? Now, Josh Bros reports earnings on Tuesday. Yeah. So what exactly would you be looking for here? Yo, Tuesday is a rough day for me in general. I have this. I have this other thing that I'm crushed in, uh, Matterport. And then I have Toast, which also looks terrible. This is maybe be my worst day of the year, uh, earnings-wise. Uh, I'm not looking forward to Dutch Bros reporting at all. I'm not giving you advice. I don't know you, sir. Uh, but me personally, I wish I wasn't in the stock. I'm looking for the next rally to exit it. I own them in the 30s also. Uh, every time they report, they're making excuses. They were blaming. They were crying about milk prices. I would never 
uh, willingly uh, come back into this name or own more of it. So it may rally on earnings because expectations have come down. I'm going to be opportunistic and probably get out of it. I need some tax losses this year anyway. All right. Coming up next, the setup on a few more stocks ahead of the earnings parade this afternoon to watch, including one name that Brenda owns. That is up 40% this year already. That's the mystery chart. Halftime is back after this. All right, just about near session highs right now. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. It's not just Apple and Amazon after the bell today. A few other names are reporting, including travel ones like Booking Holdings. Brenda, it's a name you traffic in. What are you watching? Yeah, so the stock is trading down in sympathy with Expedia today, but I do think their businesses are very different. But I'm, what I'm really going to be focused on is, is that the international business, of which Booking has a lot more exposure to the international side, which in the past hasn't always been helpful. Certainly during the pandemic, it wasn't. But the last two years, it has been very helpful. So I think the results are going to look a lot better than we saw from, from an Expedia uh, for that reason. Uh, but I think everyone's really going to care about what comes next. So I think that's what we'll really be focusing on during the conference call is seeing what trends look like for bookings going out to next year and even perhaps into the fall and winter months. Airlines and Marriott all citing that bullishness and in international travel demand. Mm-hmm. All right. So thank you very much for the look on that, Brenda. Stay with us here. We've got final trades coming up from the committee coming up next right after the break. Welcome back. Time for Final Trades. Bill Baruch, we'll start with you. Pioneer Natural Resources, I brought this up last week. I'm hitting it again. The great quarter reported. A free cash flow increase. CapEx is, is, is lowering as well. I think the stock has higher to go. I think crude oil is going to be a tailwind, too. All right, Jim. Cisco Systems. Maybe the market's correct. Maybe they don't. Either way, Cisco Systems, year after year, just clocks its annual returns. They're very good. All right. And Brenda. CBS is a low expectations, very defensive healthcare company trading at a really uh, interesting low multiple. Um, just reported a great quarter, so I think it's um, it's worth looking at. And JB, people coming up to me on the streets asking me, do I still like Uber? It's like, yes, I liked it two days ago. I still like it. I'm, I'm still in the stock. Nothing's changed. I like the stock. Like we, we like we like it still. We, we like it. It's not an Uber. All right. Anyway. That does it for the halftime report. You can see right now stocks are at session highs right now. It's pretty much green across the board for the major indices. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.